would like you to open your Bibles up to John chapter 4. We'll look, at you at a, look with you at a profound passage of Scripture this evening. We'll look with you at, uh, uh, specifically at John chapter 4, verses 27 through 38, which is the, uh, really the comment, uh, the conversation that Jesus and his disciples are having concerning the ministry uh, that, that has just taken place there with the, uh, the uh, Samaritan woman. And of course, I want to read that and, uh, and look at that with you. Uh, what has been going on, just for a, a brief uh, catch-up for us this evening, is uh, Jesus has uh, moved in uh, through Samaria. He's been going up to the uh, Galilee, which is his home area. And uh, he stops at this well at Sychar. He enters in this conversation, which is really shocking for everyone. And this has been a great study for us. Because it's out of the ordinary. It's, it's something you probably wouldn't see Jesus doing. And uh, he, he stops at this well. Uh, he's resting, he's, he's, he's wore out tired, and he sends his disciples in town to purchase some things that are needed for the trip, more than likely food, that sort of thing. And uh, lo and behold, this, this woman comes out from Samaria. Now, when I first began to study this passage of Scripture, my first inclination were, was that she was a prostitute. Uh, but that's probably not true. It's probably not true. She's definitely living in immoral, uh, immorality. She's, she's sexually immoral. She's had uh, five husbands, as Jesus points this out to her. Uh, so she's an immoral woman, that's for sure. And because of this, there is some, uh, there is some there, because of the context of the passage, you understand, there are some clues that she is kind of an outcast in her town. All kinds of this in the passage. For instance, uh, the, the time in which she is coming out to, uh, to uh, get some water, which is why her, her, her purpose in coming out, the time when she's doing this is at the middle of the day. It's around noon. Uh, the sixth hour in, in the time of Jesus' day was noon from John's perspective. So she's coming at it noon. Now, if you remember back in the Old Testament, uh, there, there's, a, there's a, uh, an example. And I always forget to look this up. I think it's Jacob's wife. No, it's not Jacob's wife. Whose wife is it? It has to meet at the well and there's going to be a woman getting water at noon and going to feed her horses. And... Isaac's wife. <laughs> I should know this. I'm preaching. But uh, um, anyway. Uh, <laughs> well, you've been there, Larry. And, uh, but anyway, so th there's examples of this happening. But you understand, uh, the reason this is so, so much of a big deal, you're thinking, well, there's probably a lot of women going to be getting water at noon. I mean, how's, uh, how is Isaac's wife going to be found you know, at noon? Well, that was extremely rare. See, no one did this kind of a chore in the middle of the day. Everyone did this at the beginning of it. This is a hard, a difficult chore. We already talked about this week, the, the depth of the well, and you've got to fill that thing up and pull it. You don't do that in the heat of the day. Man, that's ridiculous. It's hot. It's, that, that kind of a chore is done either in the morning, most likely in the morning, because that's when you got the water for your chores for the day, and you used it up for the end of the day, and you got it the next morning. And all the women went out together. And so anyone who would be doing this, now get this, anyone who would be doing this chore in the middle of the day would be doing it because they absolutely have to. And this woman, woman is having to do that. And the deal behind this is she's obviously not accepted. And when you come later on the passage, she's dreading doing this. She hates this chore. And in fact, as you come down in the passage, John chapter 4, verse 15, Jesus talks about taking away this whole issue of water for her. And she says in verse 15, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Because she hates this chore. 
And the reason why she hates this chore is not the physical labor of it, you understand. The reason she hates this chore is because it labels her as an outcast. See, everyone knows. Everyone knows why she's going out there with noon. She's not welcome with the other ladies. And because of that, and isn't this just like us? Because of that, she hates the chore of water. And she thinks because of that, the water is the problem. And you understand Jesus comes in the midst of this setting. He's already clued into all this. He's already aware of all this. And she hates that water. And he, he enters in that conversation. When the real deal is not the water. In actuality, see, she would like to do the chore of water, especially if she could do it in the morning with the other women. See, she probably gets up every morning, looks out of her window, sees all the ladies gathering together, and yearns to be accepted yearns to be involved. See, longs to be a part of that group. She would love to come out there, love to go out to the well, love to labor together uh, with the rest of the women getting the water. But because she cannot move with them, you understand this? Because she is an outcast, because, because, she, because she has to do this all by herself in the heat of the day, the chore itself is not what she hates. What she hates is the outcasting deal. And so Jesus brings up this water issue to her. And of course, as the story begins to develop, we realize that Jesus lets her know what's really going on. And what the real deal is, is not her issue with the water. Her real deal is her issue with God. That's the problem. Are you with me tonight? I'm getting the death stare already. Are you with me? So the real, uh, the real issue with this woman is not the water. The real issue with this woman is her relationship with God. And so this phenomenal ministry takes place. And of course, Jesus is, is revealed to her as the, as the Messiah. So that's what's going on. Well, you come to the end of that conversation, and here's what happens. Picking up in verse 27. It says, Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, What do you want? Why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone else have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is due to the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell, you the, I tell you the truth. Open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he, harvest, uh, he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying one sows and another reaps, which is probably a parable for his day, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Uh, Father, we love you this evening. What's Jesus trying to teach his disciples in this conversation? What's going on here? I believe it is so fundamental and significant to the Christian. Father, your word is pointed and we've been pointed this week. Not really let off. We've been very aggressive. We're aggressively seeking you. Would you be aggressive with us tonight? This passage has changed my life, Father. Help us. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. We've really been excited about this passage. And uh, I study the Bible. And uh, I probably don't study and preach like most other people.
<laughs> never heard that before. But I don't have, uh, I never was a very, I never could preach right. I've been told that all my life. Um, every good sermon has three points. Larry says my sermons are pointless. <laughs> we got our opinions, of course. But I, uh, I, I struggled from the very beginning with, uh, with preaching. Uh, and I remember the first time I was ever asked to preach, Harris Chapel Church of the Nazarene, Danny got her approaches me and says, hey, you got a call to preach? I said, yes. He goes, good, you're preaching next Sunday. I was, I was scared to death. So I went home, and I'm a practical person. And I went home and, and, and thought to myself, hey, I'm going to stand up and teach those in my, in my church and whom I've grown up with for a period of time who have walked with the Lord longer than me, you know, uh, who are more skilled, more intelligent, know more about the Word. How in the world am I going to stand up and teach them? I struggled with that. I really struggled with that. And then it dawned on me. You see, if I can just lean on the Word, if I can point them back to that book, see, I don't have anything to teach. Everything that I teach is from the Word. You take away the Bible and I have nothing to say. So I don't... You see, I, I'm not into giving you my opinion of what a passage says. And I'm certainly not in, interested necessarily what you think a passage says. And the greatest way to offend me is to come up to me and say, You know what? That's a nice spin on that passage. <laughs> that's a really good way. You really want to know how to get under my skin and tell me that. Because I don't believe that's a spin on that passage. I believe that's what that passage is saying. And I know that's arrogant. But I really believe that's what, the, I, that's what I'm after. I'm coming into that passage and I'm doing my study and I'm pr presenting that passage and saying, hey, when John's presenting this, what's he trying to say? What's going on in this passage and how is that going to change my life? And leaning on the Word like that, wow! You lean on authority that is so far beyond you. Isn't that incredible? And Bible study, you understand, is intricately tied in your life. So every, see, my sermons, and you wouldn't believe this, I get paid to tell people about my devotions. In the name of Jesus, if I ever get out of evangelism, I will still study the Bible the same way. Because I have to. If I'm not in the Word, I'm in trouble. And no joke. Ask my wife. Ask my wife what I look like when I'm not in the Word. When I begin to run my life how I see fit, not how this book sees fit. And if the only time you're fed is when you come to church on Sunday, my, 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 we are in trouble. And so Bible study for me is an integral part of my life, which is why I stand up and, hey, maybe a little bit, I don't see how you can be too transparent. I'm showing you what the passage has already done in my life. That's where passion comes from. That's where excitement, not from coffee, you know. See, I'm not, see that's not where it comes from. It's just it's truth, man. Oh, it's truth. It's good truth. That's what I've been telling you about. So this passage has really changed my life. I struggle the most. Everybody struggles, I think. The time when I'm probably... Okay, I've got to be careful because I'm sanctified, I think. The time when I struggle the most, the time when I am most apt to not look like Him, is in between meetings. On my time off. So my answer for that from the very beginning was just never have time off. And that's how it did. When I first began in ministry in 1990, what, 1999, we preached 74 revivals our first year of ministry. 74. I was doing eight a month. <laughs> yeah, she was going to leave me, so we slowed down, of course. <laughs> Not really, but it was, it was tough. 
And I kept hearing the same thing, you're going to burn out. You're going to burn out. And I'll be honest with you, I, I, from the first beginning, I thought, well, that doesn't sound biblical. How could you burn out in ministry? And so I, I said, okay, I need to take time off. So, uh, for instance, tomorrow's Thursday and Friday, and we had made plans to stay here, but it doesn't look like we're going to be able to. We're going to go spend some time in Toledo with our family. And so we're going to go up and park the fifth wheel in, in cold water, which is where we're going to be next week. And then I'm going to go over, and we're going to have a great time with my friends and family. And that's time off. And in that, kind of made a rule, I don't work on those days because I work all the time. And, uh, and work is difficult because I associate work with ministry. Does that make sense? So I'm, a, I'm almost a fish out of water when I'm not in the pulpit. And the time when I am most grouchy, the most, if you'd believe that, the most, those kind of things, and I don't know how to, see, it's not that I'm grouchy. If, the most time that I'm like the way that I don't like to be is on my days off. Well, I get hit hardest in temptation is my day off. And I struggle because your day off is supposed to be the day you recuperate. <laughs> and I'm the most stressed when I'm off. <laughs> so I'm backwards or something. And so I, and I talk to pastors about this. Hey, I, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm irritable and it takes time off. No, that's, that's where the problem starts. When I take time off is when I'm in most in trouble. So my time off is going to do a revival. Which, so I've always struggled with that. I've always, I've always... Are we supposed to take a break from ministry? Are we supposed to take a break from that? See, I've really struggled with that. And if you, you understand, I, I've heard preachers say, Jesus took a break from ministry. In fact, you understand, I want to tell you the context. Now, this is a little bit of the background, but it's right from the passage. The context of this passage is phenomenal. Jesus is supposedly, oh, you, you just got to love him. Jesus is supposedly in time off, time off, time out, whatever you want to talk about that. He's in time off. He's his off time. Do you know the week that Jesus has had? If anybody deserves a time off, it's got to be this guy. It's got to be him. Look at the week that he's had. He leaves the wedding at Canaan, chapter 2. He comes up to the temple. You understand the temple was the Passover. The temple, it was the fulfillment. That, that was the, Jesus was the fulfillment of all that was going on in the temple. So you know the expectations that he had. The excitement that was brewing inside of him. He was going up and for the first time, you understand, he was celebrating this, knowing that he was the fulfillment of all that was taking place here. In fact, that's what our whole uh, uh, communion, that's what the whole uh, Eucharist, that's what the whole Last Supper is about. Hey boys, I'm, I'm replacing this. This was a shadow of the real deal. Wow. And he comes into the temple and what does he find? Teenagers, get a hold of this. They were not into that. And they had turned the whole prophecy of God, they had turned the whole worship of God into an avenue to make money. And what was his response? Made a whip out of cords. Cracked some heads together. Ran across, and you, I guess you can translate however you like that, but see, he was, he was upset. And of course, uh, after cleansing the temple is what it's called, of course, he's confronted. And you'd think the leaders of Israel at least give him a valid point, but they're on a different page with him, frustrated. So he leaves, he goes back to the other room, and you have the upper room, which is chapter 3, and Nicodemus comes in, and you have the conversation with he and Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, is, he's, the leader of, he's the leader of leaders. If anyone's going to get this, if anyone's going to see this, the experts in the law, surely it would be Nicodemus. At the end of this gospel, Nicodemus ends up becoming a disciple, so he had a good heart. But by the time of chapter 3, verse 9, Nicodemus looks at Jesus and says, how can this be? And Nicodemus is just, and now think about this. Nicodemus doesn't get out on it, and Jesus says, You are Israel's teacher, 
and you don't understand these things. Flabbergasted. Interesting word. Look it up sometime. That was probably how he felt. Just wore out. Finally, he leaves, and you understand throughout his ministry, he's always weeping over Jerusalem. You with me, teens? He's always weeping over Jerusalem. But of course, he leaves in our passage in John chapter 3. He goes out into the Judean countryside. Now, this is the really neat part. He goes out into the Judean countryside to spend some time with his disciples. And he's had a rough time in Jerusalem, you understand. Really rough time in Jerusalem. And he goes out in the Judean countryside to spend some time to minister there, to get down and dirty in ministry with his disciples. It's the very beginning. And he looks over, and who does he see? Who does he see? On the other side of the lake. John the Baptist. And you understand, John the Baptist and Jesus were in cahoots with one another. You can't talk about Jesus without talking about John the Baptist. Because they are both a part of the plan of God. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus' ministry. So if anyone's going to be on the same page as as Jesus, it's got to be John the Baptist. But then you hear about John the Baptist's disciples. And they're no longer referring to Jesus as the Lamb of God or the Messiah as John has been talking about. How do they refer to him? That man. Yeah, that man he was with on the other side of Jordan. Yeah, yeah, the one you testified about. Well, he's baptizing. Everyone's going to him. And even John's own disciples, the forerunner, is not getting involved in what Jesus is doing. Uh, It's a tough week. And to top it all off, at the very beginning of chapter 4, which is our passage... He finds out that he's being spied upon. Listen to the beginning of John chapter 4. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, though in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. What's Galilee? Home. It's home. How many weeks? Probably a couple out there. In Jerusalem, Judean countryside, all that's been taking place, and it's just one brick wall after one brick wall after one brick wall, at least a week of ministry, and that's just been terrible. <laughs> see, all of his hopes, all of his expectations are just shot. Are you with me tonight? Can you see this? Can you picture this in your mind's eye? This is what's going on here. And Jesus says, Phew. he hears about this, now he's got delegates from, uh, now he has delegates from Jerusalem coming out spying on him, and he says, I'm going home. I'm going home. And you understand, by the time you come down to the end of verse 6 of chapter 4, this is what it says. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. I'll try to read slower. Verse 6. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, now get this, Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. Now I want to challenge something in your thinking. I don't believe that Jesus was just physically tired. He's got 12 disciples with him who are fine. They're able to go in town to get food. They've been, with, they've been with Jesus the whole time and everything that he's been doing. You understand they're not tired? Are you with me tonight? They're not tired. But Jesus is tired. And I want to challenge you tonight. And I don't know how you're going to take this, so don't jump me yet. But I believe Jesus was physically tired, yes. But I believe what was going on inside of him, and you had talked about this last night, there is a physical or there's a spiritual tiredness. We talked about this last night in your house even. I have come home from services war, I'm talking war out. And I used to think, well, I only preached. I ran my mouth for an hour. That didn't seem too hard. 
But there is an interaction. There is a pressure when you are used by the Holy Spirit. When you become an avenue, you will experience that walking with Him. You should. You will experience that in your life and it will wear you out. And Jesus was feeling, you know the pressure that He was feeling on this? Oh, tell you about it. He goes into a garden, falls down, sweats drops of blood over this thing, you understand. Some people say Jesus didn't struggle. (laughs) A word from my generation, whatever. Look in the word, man. That boy had pressure on him. I mean, he had intense pressure on him. So if anyone needs a dime off, if anyone needs a rest, it's got to be Jesus. His disciples see that. He comes into the town, or he's coming by the town. There's a well there. Jesus says, I've got to rest. I'm wore out. I'm tired. I'm just, I am spent, you understand. He crashes down beside this well. They go into town, and you're thinking, you're thinking Jesus needs a rest. He needs to relax. He needs some time off. He needs a break from ministry. You've got a pastor who does that. You don't call him up on Monday and say, hey, I've got 25 people I want you to call on today. In fact, I've known some board members who make the pastor take one day off. Do you guys do that here at the church? Make Larry stay away? No? Well, you probably don't. Oh, well, never mind. But um, I, seriously, I know of some pastors, and we both know them. The church says, get away. <laughs> Go away. Don't come back. Take a day off. Because they know that he needs rest. That's what we're talking about here. If any time Jesus needed to rest, if any time he needed to just rest, if any time he did not need to be doing anything, he's most vulnerable, this would be the time. And yet you look at this scene, and I'm not convinced. Now, hear me on this. I'm not convinced that Jesus is an off time. I'm not convinced he's an off time. Uh, ministry has been talked about. Now, we haven't really gotten to the passage yet, but ministry has already been talked about in John chapter 3, hasn't it? How do you define ministry? Last night, and I hope you got in on this, I, was, I felt like I was unclear. Ministry is not just doing good things. You know that, right? Ministry is responding to the leading of the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus has been dead on this in the Gospel of John. If you come out of the Gospel of John, please stay with me. If you come out of the Gospel of John and you don't get this, if you come away from church and you don't get this, folks, we're in deep trouble. Holiness is not a trophy that I wear on my, my, my shoulder. You have no ability to be, uh, to be holy whatsoever, save that of God who is holy coming down inside of you and you derive your holiness from Him. Which means if I'm holy, it's because He's involved in my life. If He's not involved in your life, you're not holy no matter what you do. And from John's perspective, it's turning from a life of living out of the flesh, repenting, and facing a whole new life where I'm filled with the Spirit. And everything going on in the life of Jesus was a responding to the leading of the Holy Spirit. You understand this? It was a responding to the leading of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, you understand, just didn't come as a Messiah and do a bunch of good things. Everything he did was the response to the Father. Everything he did. To the point where he said, hey, if you've seen me, you've... If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Why? Because I and him are one. And everything that I'm doing, I don't do on my own. I learned it from my Father. He speaks, I respond. This is ministry. So I refuse to believe, I refuse to believe in light of the passage that this ministry was by accident. Jesus constantly finds himself, get a hold of this, this is great news. Jesus constantly finds himself in the midst of what God is doing and at times I'm wondering if he even knew. He's like surprised sometimes at the movement of God. 
any response. And I told you about the, the lady touching his garments uh, and was healed. But when, when the Greeks come into the picture in John chapter 18 or so, Philip comes up and says, hey, the Greeks are here. And Jesus says, oh, the time has come. The father moves, the father acts, the father brings about the plan, the, the son sees that and responds. You look like this is foreign. I think this is what we believe, don't we? This is, this is what we have to believe. And so when Jesus comes into this setting, this wasn't time off, this wasn't, acti- this wasn't accident, this was the leading of the Father. Focus. This was the leading of the Father in the life of Jesus. And you understand, Jesus was primed for this situation. For instance, he knows things about this woman that there's no way he could have known. He knew to get his disciples out of there. Some of them said, hey, we're going to go get some food. A couple of them probably said, hey, I'll stay here and watch after you. Jesus says, oh, no, you don't. Go with the other ones. Leave me alone. Got alone. And I'm not thinking it's because he was annoyed and just needed to be alone. I'm convinced because there was something brewing. All kinds of things. She comes out. He knows her situation intimately. He enters the conversation. Hey, do you have any water? Enters into the conversation with talking with her and then just lays it out on her. Go call your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. He goes, you've had five. And how's her, how she responded to that? She goes, I can see that you are a prophet. Don't you see? See, he was primed for this. He was ready for this. You see, he's in ministry. Is he worn out? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Is he tired? Oh, man. I don't think anybody's ever been as tired as Jesus. I think he lived that way. I think he lived wore out. But did that cease? Did that stop? Did that bring an end to the ministry that's going on in his life? No. Now, here's what I want to focus on, and I'm not going to preach forever tonight. In fact, we're almost done, really. I just want to walk you through the passage. All that was introduction. (laughs) You come down into verse 27, which is our passage. Now, I want you to listen to the disciples' response to what they see going on. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. And listen to what they're thinking. But no one asked. In other words, this is going on up here, but it wasn't coming out of their mouth. No one asked, what do you want? Saying that to the woman. Of course, they also did not say, or why are you talking with her, Jesus? See, this is what they're thinking. Can you see him as they're coming back and Jesus is getting back? They're always trying to guard Jesus. You notice this in the Gospels? He's always wore out. He's always tired. You've got these kids that are trying to tackle him and they're grabbing him and throwing him back in the crowd and saying, hey. And Jesus says, let the little kids come to me. Relax. Trying to scatter off the 5,000. Jesus says, leave them alone. Well, then you get food. You feed them. <laughs> you need to relax, Jesus. You need to slow down. You need to take a break. Come on. I've heard this one. Pace yourself, Jeremiah. I'm only jogging, man. I'm only jogging. I'm only jogging. And they come back and they see this woman and they've got all this struggle in their mind. Well, of course, she sees 12 thugs coming. So in verse 28, she's so startled, she doesn't even get her water jar, which she came out there to, that was the chore. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town so excited, so startled, so moved by the situation that she exaggerates the whole conversation. This is what she says in verse 29. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. 
Oh, that isn't true. But she's so excited. She just... Are you an exaggerator? I am. The fish was this big. Well, I mean, but it was a big fish, though. <laughs> Come see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they, they, now get this, they made their way out, the whole town. She runs in the middle of this town. You know how this woman is anyway. You know how they view her. You know the problems with all of this. They're making their way toward her, listening to what she's saying. And she's saying, could this be the one? And they all, seeing her state, seeing what's going on, they all, this whole town, begins to make their way toward Jesus. Putting a little pressure on the disciples. And listen to the response of the disciples. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, Eat something. Hurry, before she comes back. Eat something. You're tired, Jesus. You're wore out. You need rest. You need relaxation. You need recuperation. You need nourishment. But listen to what Jesus says. Verse 32. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. I have nutrition. Uh, I have nourishment. I have recuperative tools that you don't know anything about. That you know nothing about. And listen to the, what they think. Then his disciples said to one another, Could someone else have brought him some food? Did he eat? Did he eat? And Jesus says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me. My food. Now put this in perspective. My ministry. My nourishment is ministry. And then he gives his parables about, look at the fields, man. And he's talking about the whole group that's coming. That's the field. He says, look at the fields. Look at that. They're white with harvest. My nourishment. You see, my recuperation is to be caught in the middle of what's he, what he's doing. I will, and this is, this is clinched in my mind. If I run 90 mile an hour, fine. You don't have to run 90 mile an hour. I'm running at the pace that God made for me. I'm built for this life. I'm built for it, man. I'm an evangelist. Pastor slash truck driver. I'm, I'm built for this life. That's what I'm, I'm... I'm built to do what I do. People say, oh, isn't it hard? No. I'm having the time of my life. You should take a break. No, I don't want to take a break. Because the time when I'm most... When I'm most nourished, the time when I'm most fed, the time when I'm most caught up in Him is when I find myself right smack dab in the midst of ministry. But you understand. Now get this in your mind. We talked about this last night. Ministry is not a particular thing. Ministry is, as we talked about in John chapter 3, is caught in the flow of what He's doing. Did Jesus take a break from Jerusalem? Yes, and I need a break from you. And you need a break from me. But that doesn't mean I have a break from ministry. That does not mean that I have a break from being in the flow of what he's doing. This is real nourishment. Can I ask you something? I, man, I believe this is founded on, this is a brand new study for us, and I'm still kind of poking through the scriptures looking at this. But I'm wondering, I'm wondering if you struggle, if your times of struggle, if your times of falling flat on your face, your times of weakness, I wonder if you can't tie, no matter what that is in the span of what's going on in this place, if you can't tie that apart, if you can't tie that to the reality that in those times you've wandered away from being in the flow of whatever he's doing in your life. 
See, the time when I struggle is when I'm out of ministry. <sighs> I'm out of ministry. And I go to, what do we do? Barnes & Noble? <laughs> I'm a boring fella. But times when I struggle is when I go to Barnes & Noble and I'm not in ministry. So I read, but see, I read ministry books anyway, so that's my off time. But I go in, I like history, I'm history buff, so I go read something about history. But the parts when I struggle, the times when I fall flat on my face is when I'm, I'm not in ministry. And I don't allow him, this sounds so foolish, but I don't allow him to come in and be involved in the midst of that reading. I have no idea. I try to read you sometimes. I believe preaching is a conversation. I'm having a conversation with you tonight about this passage. And Jesus says real nourishment is being involved in ministry. Real nourishment is being involved, is feeding on the midst of what God is doing. The devil comes to Jesus in the desert, says, you look hungry, man. 40 days and 40 nights? That's impressive. You look hungry. Tell these stones to become bread. Jesus shakes his head. Shakes his head. And that's not, I mean, that's not a Ten Commandment thing. That didn't mean neat. Be impressive. Found money in fish's mouth, turn them into stone. I mean, just turn them into pizza if you're going to make them bread. I mean, that isn't bad, you understand. It's not a sin to do that. But what did Jesus say? Man does not live on bread alone. See, the enemy did not get it. The nourishment for Jesus was was him. If you're not on the same page with me tonight, I want to ask you, do you realize that you're a minister? Do you realize that you're in the body? Are you with me tonight? Just a beep. It'll go away. It'll be all right. Do you realize that you're a minister? If not, in the name of Jesus, wake up. Wake up. It's called a body. There's arms and legs. I'm a mouth. My wife is, hey, maybe she's a foot. You're a finger. Got a toe over here, an ear over there. But ministry is the collective work of God through His people. He gathers together His people, and I believe that He pulls together in the congregation everyone He needs to accomplish His purpose. And you walk and live in that, which means you don't do ministry, you are ministry. I'm going to minister tomorrow. <laughs> I'm not off work. Because my job is ministry. My life is ministry. And I will be ministering at the... See, I minister at Barnes & Noble. I minister at, at, at McDonald's. I minister at the... Wherever I go, I minister, you understand. And I live my life in expectation of these kind of things taking place. If you're not being used, I wonder why he still has you here. That's probably pretty aggressive. But if you refuse to be used, I'm going to pray he's going to take you home. Because you're probably going to get in the way. There's no retirement in Jesus in the ministry that God wants to do. And understand, don't say, well, he's asking us to do stuff. No. I'm saying ministry is getting flat in a dead sprint at 95 years old after Jesus. And when you're close with him, ministry spills out of you. In whatever way that he wants. Are you a minister tonight? Are you a minister? Do you find that you struggle throughout the week? 
with certain things? Could it be that maybe you shut him off? Please tell me you don't work for money. I get really in trouble for that. See, if I, I've never done this in seven years. But if I called a church and said, I'm not coming unless I have $5,000, you'd go, we're not having him anymore. He's in it for the money. Really? How'd you get your job? Hey, I don't care what you pay me. I just want to come to work. I just want to build tires, man. Wow, that's what I want to do. Oh, forget the benefits. I'll just I'll worry about it. See, don't criticize me. You do the same thing. See, I'm convinced that you look at me. My brother is a welder. He's a welder. We've been talking about welding this week. But you understand, he's kind of an undercover agent. See, his cover is a welder. But he's really a minister for Jesus in the midst of his job. Not everybody can be mouths. You understand that, don't you? Please hear this. Not everybody can be mouths. That God says, I'm desperately in need of a carpenter. I'm desperately in need of an accountant. Because I desperately need this accountant to be smack dab in the midst of this word. See, that changes your whole perspective on work. Go to the factory tomorrow and go, why? Have you ever noticed, as Christians, you get the jerkiest people beside you? <laughs> I heard a guy tonight, and, I, and I'm going to use you as an illustration. Some guy tonight said, well, he's awesome, great, we loved each other all week. He says, man, I'm surrounded by a bunch of kids. They put me in the middle of these kids, and all they do is scream and cuss and yell, and I'm just, I'm going, wow, what an opportunity! <laughs> That's not by chance! That's not by chance! I refuse to believe that in the name of Jesus. That's not by chance. You're an undercover agent. <laughs> and he has stuck you so he can pour himself through you to reach those kids. You're the evangelists. See, no program in your church will ever replace that. No children's pastor, pastor will ever replace that in your home. I resent the fact of come save my kids. I resent that. Because that's not my job. That's not my job to save your kids. That's your job. To be yielded up by the Father to allow Him to be used in your... Uh, him to, to get in the lives of your kids through you. And sure, He uses me and gives Him the Word and that kind of stuff. And I, and I really bothers me when... And it really doesn't matter what bothers me. But I, I really want us... See, we've got to come back to this. I believe evangelism and ministry is the byproduct of the Christian life. And we get so mad about smoking and drinking and, and running in the church and the carpet getting messed up. Why don't we get mad about, hey, I have seen this person in my life and they have never won one person to Jesus. I would never make it as a pastor because that person would never be on my board. And that's probably too aggressive and I've got a lot of growing to do and I understand that and you can't judge those kind of things. But why don't we get mad over the real thing? Get mad over what really matters and not this piddly junk. We're ministers. Go down to our communities. See, Sunday is not the filling station. And maybe you could look at it like that. But Sunday is the coming in and going, wow, and everybody, see, in the first century church, is so different than our church. The first century church was not coming in and the pastor grabs the word and shovels it in our mouth. The first century of the church was about a thousand ministers coming together and Paul said, listen, I know you're all excited. I know God is using you, but one at a time. 
What if something's changed there a little bit? Something has changed there. Ministry. It's the byproduct of my life. Tomorrow, I'm off. I think. <laughs> I'm not going to be in church. I've got to go fill up my propane tanks tomorrow. And I'm going to love Jesus right all over a propane filler guy. I am. I'm going to go visit her sister and my best friend. Great relationship. They got married, so we're really close. And whatever we do, man, is the footprints of Jesus stomping through our activities in that night. Are you living like that tonight? If not, would conviction pour all over you tonight? Could I be an aggressive to say that I don't believe that you're involved in what he's looking at, what he's dealing with? Focus right here. If you're not living like that, why aren't you? Maybe I'll be a little bit more aggressive. If you're not, if you're not living like that, you're not living like this passage. Disciples. Say Jesus. We're called to win a world. Jesus says, oh yeah. We're the twelve disciples. Yes, you are. Teach us how to preach. Jesus says, eh, that's not really what it's about. How do we speak? What do we say? Ah, that'll be given to you. Don't worry about it. Well, how do I do this? When do we go here? Hey, what's about this? Jesus is like, relax. The only, string, only instruction he gave them was be one with the Father. What if ministry was going down to your job and loving Jesus like he's the only thing worth loving right in the midst of your community? I want to be in on that. I believe that is the only form of evangelism. I believe this is what Jesus talked about in terms of talents. And one, two, and five, and ten, or whatever those things were, those weren't skills. I don't believe that. So if I, you can't look at me and say, I have a hundred and you have one. I probably have one and you have a hundred. I'm never outside of the church. Ever. I never see the ungodly. Well, that's not true. But my biggest fear is to get to heaven and God and a perfect church record. All that kind of great stuff. And he's going to say, I gave you the talent of carpentry. I gave you the talent of... But I showed up at church every Sunday. I prophesied in your I preached in your name. He says, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. I never experienced... I never walked with you. I was never in cahoots with you. I was never so vibrant in your life that people just looked at you and just flocked to you. I want to come back to that tonight. Oh, I want to come back to that. Are you living like that tonight? Do you realize you're ministers in the body? That you're an undercover agent? You're an undercover farmer that he stuck, my brother Josh. Are you an undercover bro- a farmer that's been slapped right down right in the middle of your town, man, and just dumps Jesus? I, I know him. And I see that in his life. Is that going on in your life tonight? If it's not, would you repent and say, I want to start tomorrow. I want to go back Monday, changed, and people's going to look at me and say, what happened? I got a call to ministry. So you're leaving? No. <laughs> no. Where's your mission field? The drill press. <laughs> it's the drill press.
Father, that burns in my heart. Real food, real nourishment. What really keeps me going is being in the midst of what you're doing. Because of being out of what you're doing, I fall apart. Because I believe I was never meant to be outside of what you're doing. We wonder why we struggle. We wonder why our lives are so filled with all these things. It's because we've got all kinds of time for those things. I'm wondering sometimes why Paul says, think on these things. Fill your mind with these thoughts. Be so busy about the Lord that you don't have time Forgive me tonight, Jesus. You have sanctified me, set me apart, cleanse me from the inside, change me so that I do not want to be like myself, which I was never able to do without you, and now I'm leaning toward you. And the rest of my life is a growing process where you reveal patterns, where you reveal things in my life that I never knew was there. Father, tonight in this service, you have revealed to me that I have left you in my fifth wheel on my days off but I never meant to I want to invite you on my date with my wife would you come shopping with me would you go to Barnes and Noble with me would you watch a movie with me Jesus would you play basketball with me God, would you get into my thought life? Think, think my thoughts with me? To the point where there's, you cannot tell my life apart from yours. I know you tonight. I know you. I walk with you. And I want that to continue. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. My, my, my. What a passage.